Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE is a catalyst for change in the engineering industry, and one of the biggest ways we inspire that change is through our annual SWE Conference for Women Engineers and Technologists. This year's conference, WE21 in Indianapolis, Indiana, will help attendees at all ages and stages learn, connect, and grow. Join us for three days of networking and relationship building, over 250 professional development sessions, three inspirational keynotes, and a career fair featuring more than 300 exhibitors. Let's aspire to inspire at WE21, October 21st through the 23rd. Head to we21.swe.org for more info and to register. Hi, I'm Marissa Doyen, the Hispanic Heritage Month lead with the Latinos Affinity Group of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to Un Cafecito with the Women in STEM, a sub-series of SWE's Diverse Podcast. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. Today, I'm joined by Sandra Kaufman, the Deputy Director of Earth Science Division in the Science Mission Director at NASA. She's previously worked on exciting projects such as MAVEN, GOES-R, SMEX Gems, and others during her 30-year career at NASA. After studying for a time at the University of Costa Rica, she earned bachelor's in physics and engineering and a master's in electrical engineering, all from George Mason University. Sandra has been honored with the NASA Exceptional Achievement Medal, is a two-time recipient of the NASA Exceptional Leadership Medal, and is a four-time recipient of the NASA Acquisition Improvement Award. Sandra is a senior fellow on the Council of Excellence in Government. Additionally, as appreciation for her achievements in STEM and her outreach efforts in Costa Rica and other parts of Latin America, the Costa Rican government issued a stamp in her honor in 2017. Thank you for joining us today, Sandra. Very nice to meet you uh, and, and joining you here, Marisa. It's a pleasure. Thank you. First and foremost, how do you take your cafecito? Oh, with a little bit of oat milk. Oat milk. That's a new one. I'm vegan. So. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of oat milk. Yeah. It used to be, it used to be real milk, but now it's a little bit of oat milk. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think initially sparked your interest in STEM? Well, that uh, is a long story, and it started when I was seven years old. And that's when I, uh, please don't do the math, when uh, Apollo 11 landed on the moon, I was seven years old. And that was, uh, you know, as much as uh, such an event can grab a seven-year-old, that's, uh, that's what uh, prompted me to be fascinated by space, by sci-fi, by any that had to do with the space and the space exploration. Of course, I didn't know what NASA was at that point, but uh, you know, we, you can see the moon at night. Uh, you can, you know, watch some programs on TV. There are a lot of books that uh, once I began reading that continue my, you know, looking into, uh, inspire me to look at STEM and engineering and eventually study, you know, engineering and physics, you know. So, uh, of course, by the time I, I went to college, I knew what NASA was. And that's all I wanted to do was to, to work for NASA someday. As I'm sure a lot of people have that same dream. I know it's one of mine too. So walk us through your educational journey and some of your personal and professional achievements. Well, educational journey was uh, very uh, cumbersome. And so I did go to all public schools, nothing private, nothing. I was born in Costa Rica. 
as you stated uh, in the introduction. And I graduated second in my high school class, which uh, was a major achievement in itself since I had to work and study. I grew up in a family with a single mother. And so it was a struggle, you know, through my high school years. We moved, I don't know how many times, and I had to work a few hours to help my mother pay the bills. And, but uh, even so, I graduated with really good grades, and I was able to go to the University of Costa Rica, where I wanted to study electrical engineering. But uh, in those times, you know, in the 1980, which is when I uh, started college, they couldn't fathom having a woman study electrical engineering because uh, working and being an electrical engineering implied that you were working for the Instituto Costarricense de Electricidad, which was, uh, you know, the, the power company. And that was more of a view like a men's job. So uh, the advisor told me I couldn't study electrical because I was a woman and the only lady like engineering was industrial engineering. So I spent three and a half years in industrial engineering and that was not what I really wanted, you know, so I packed up my bag, came to the United States, which I transferred to George Mason University. I had to work full-time and study full-time. My adopted father was the one who facilitated my visa here. He had retired really young on disability. He was born in Pennsylvania. He married my mother when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. And he lived out of his small pension. And when he married mom, he went to live in Costa Rica. And he says, I cannot pay for you to go to college, but I can help you get the visa so you can go and, and you have to work and you have to figure it out. And I said, well, I've been figuring it out since I was young, so I'm going to figure it out again. So I came to the States. I had to learn English because I didn't speak English at the time. I only had the English I had learned in high school. But uh, it took me about a year to close that circuit in my brain and my mouth, you know, and be able to at least uh, communicate uh, clearly what I needed. I found a job and I almost found a job almost right away working in a hardware store. And with that, you know, learn English, took the TOEFL and signed up to go to George Mason, where I spent another three and a half years to get my degrees. I was going to finish in two and a half electrical engineering, but then I stayed an extra year to get my physics degree. And so I graduated in 1980, December 1987 with both bachelors. And then I went back to school a couple of years later, and it took me another five years actually six years to get my master's, one class at a time, working full-time during the day. And I, uh, I was married. I was pregnant with my second son when I finally finished my thesis and graduated in 1995, again, from George Mason. So it was a long journey, a long struggle. I did want to get a, ma- a PhD, but uh, after spending six years in a master's and having two kids and working full-time, uh, that was not meant to be, you know. So, um, but, uh, it, you know, just graduating and doing all of the amazing things that I have done have been, you know, great. I have loved everything that I have done. I, you know, people ask me, what is your favorite mission? What is your favorite? This was, and I have to say everything is just so fascinating. Everything is just so amazing. All, all the discoveries that, that we make are just uh, incredible. And it is my dream job since I was seven years old. And, uh, at seven years old, I wanted to go to the moon and I never went to the moon. But, uh, you know, I, I always like to say that I landed among the stars and I uh, really like what I do. Well, it sounds like all of your hard work has paid off for you. What are some of the favorite parts of your job that you have or what's been your favorite mission to work on so far? Well, the favorite things are working with the people that we work at NASA. It is, not, you know, with reason, the best place to work in federal government. It is just a bunch of talented, committed people that 
the care for each other, the team effort is just so great. And, uh, and every team that I have worked with, you know, is just becomes part of your family. And, you know, we care for each other. We, we love each other. We work hard to ensure the, the success of the team. And it's not the, there is no I in team, right? And, uh, you know, so it's just the amazing individuals that form part of this NASA family and that I have the privilege to work with that have made this uh, career so, so great. That's such a good thing to hear. How have you navigated your career as a Hispanic woman in a white male dominated field? Well, so, you know, I'm not just, uh, you know, female, but I am Hispanic. And of course, I have an accent and everything. And coming from an engineering background, my first couple of jobs out of college, I worked with primarily men. And uh, it was uh, it was hard, intimidating at first. And I have to say that I had to find a way to be more assertive and demonstrate that I was capable. And, but I actually, I have to say that that um, team effort and that work and that uh, culture at NASA, you know, it was very, uh, very welcoming in many respects. You know, I mean, there is always somebody who would say something and, and do something that is probably not, not right. But one of the things that I reasoned uh, a long time ago is that, uh, it, that those comments and those individuals are, are just, uh, you know, so few that uh, you can put the blame where it belongs in this with them. They are the ones who have the problems, not me. And I am an engineer. I am capable. And I had to re- remind myself of that early on. And I worked hard to, I felt sometimes that I had to work a little harder than the next guy to prove that I could. But, you know, fast forward 30 some years, I worked as a contractor for three years and uh, I have been with the agency for 30. You know, nobody really sees a a woman and a minority, I think, uh, you know, and I like to believe that that people see more of a person, an individual who is accomplished, who has, um, you know, who has experience and who can can contribute to the NASA mission in uh, with the things that I can contribute. You know, nobody is all-knowing and, you know, um, my experience and my background is engineering and physics. But also, you know, we all have to, as leaders, you know, surround ourselves with people that are more capable and, and know other disciplines, you know, in order to form those teams that I spoke about. And so um, it is important to hear all voices and all walks of life and all careers and all disciplines in order to to navigate and work in, in the teams in the NASA culture, you know, and more so today, we are even more committed to diversity and inclusion. And uh, I think if you look around now, you see so many more women. This is the first time in the last five years, I would say that, uh, you know, we have had in the science division, three amazing female directors for our, you know, science divisions. And, uh, you know, it, and uh, slowly you see more, more women in some leadership positions ac- across the agency. So uh, I'm really, uh, you know, proud of be, to be one of those leaders. And uh, in 2015, I applied to a uh, senior executive position at NASA headquarters. And I, uh, I was able to get the current job that I have, which is deputy director for the Earth Science Division, which is one of those few uh, senior executive positions in the federal agencies uh, and it, uh, you know, it, I had to build it up and work through many years of experience in capacity building, if you will, you know, to get here. And, and, and I'm proud of the, those accomplishments. Sandra, you should be incredibly proud of your 
current position in your your journey. So along some similar lines, why do you think it's so important for young Latinas and young people in general to have mentors and role models who look like them? Well, actually, I would say that, uh, you know, and I always say this, this about girls in general, not minorities in so much, but girls in general, you know, girls cannot be what they cannot see. And so uh, many years ago, you know, if you ask a, a group of children, girls and boys to draw an engineer or a scientist, they will draw a, a man. But with the models, role models and mentors that we have today, if you ask uh, young children to draw an engineer or a scientist, they are likely to draw a female. And, and in general, you know, being from a minority group and really going to some of those communities where the, there are majority Hispanics. I live in Arlington, Virginia, and there are a lot of Hispanics who live in South Arlington and going to visit those schools. You know, given the, that visibility, you know, for the kids and, and those groups to see that, that you can accomplish so much, you know, if you put your mind to it and that you cannot really give up at the first no. And uh, just because you struggle through life and just because your parents are perhaps of low means and, uh, and sometimes they cannot even speak the language or because you are an immigrant, you know, that doesn't mean it, that doesn't dictate the person that you can become, you know, and, uh, you know, so it, it is entirely up to to them, to us, to work through what we want to do with our lives. And uh, sometimes we just give up so easily at the first no. Sometimes we just um, become the victims and we make ourselves the victims and we make our own barriers. And, you know, it is important to really uh, go and talk to them and tell them, you know, if it's meant to be, it's up to you. You know, you have to put forth the effort. You have to really change your attitude on how you tackle the situation that you are experiencing, experiencing and everything, you know, if you, if you become the victim, then you're going to remain the victim. If you give up at the first no, you will never know if the second or third time if you had really given yourself a chance to try, that might have been your breakthrough, you know, and each time, uh, you know, so many times I was told no, what you do with the no is you go and, and do a, an introspection and really assess, you know, why, why is it a no now? And what did I, do I need to change, adjust, you know, uh, and, and improve, you know, so the next time I am better prepared. And, you know, it might be a no again, but each time you learn, you grow. And that is, uh, it, it is so, so important for that, uh, you know, for kids and in particular, young Latino, young people, you know, to really look at that. And having mentors is so important, you know, and, and not just one mentor or two, but many mentors. And I would advise uh, anybody out there to go and seek mentors and perhaps mentors that do not think like them, do not look like them. Sometimes, you know, we look for people who think like us, but we all have, dark, you know, blind spots and uh, we want to have mentors and people that can help us see those blind spots that we can, you know, in the long run, see and, and improve. So, uh, this is very, very important. And I, you know, it, it's a very small contribution, you know, to my community, but, uh, you know, I like to do a lot of outreach. I, at every opportunity that I have, I go and talk to schools, uh, colleges. Uh, every time I go to a different country, I have been in India too. And, uh, and, and I, and there's so much poverty in a lot of countries that, uh, and, and just going and, and planting a lot of those positive seeds in, in some of these kids 
it just opens up a little bit of a window to of what may be and what is possible if they change how they how they view their world and their lives and the efforts that they may have to make to in order to really um, change the history of their families, right? And that's one of the things that my mother always told me is like, you know, don't repeat history. You know, I already made all the mistakes. Uh, we were broke. I couldn't do so many things because of the choices that I made, but I want you to make different choices. And, uh, you know, and that's why I'm here. And my mother now lives with me and I take care of her. And, uh, you know, and, and we were able to, to change a little bit that history. Yeah, all it takes is that one little seed to spark so much change for people. And that's so important. Earlier, you had mentioned about going to school and being married and being a mom. So what are some of the ways that you have stayed on top of work, life and family balance while you've been in your career? Okay, so I'm going to start by telling you a piece of advice that a good uh, one of those amazing bosses that I had early on in my career, I did have the opportunity to work for him three times. He was the one who gave me my first job out of college. And then uh, after I joined NASA, I ended up working for him a second time. And then uh, fast forward, you know, a few years ahead, uh, I had the opportunity to, to apply for the, one of the few positions I've ever applied to, and, and I ended up working for him a third time. But one of the things that he used to say, and he's still, you know, he retired a, a little while ago now, is that we're all jugglers, and uh, we are juggling a lot of balls, and most of the balls are made out of rubber. So if one of those rubber balls falls, or you have to drop it, it's okay because somebody else is going to pick up that ball or you can pick it up, uh, you know, again. But there is one ball that is made out of crystal and that ball cannot be dropped. Never, ever, ever, ever can you drop that ball. And that ball is your family, is your friends, is, uh, you know, that cluster of life that, you know, your health and everything that, uh, you know, makes you who you are. And you can never drop that ball because it's, it's precious. If you let it drop, it's going to break. And if it breaks, then, then your life is just not going to be the same. And so I have lived by that all my career. You know, work is, I care for my people. I care for my coworkers. I care for the work that I do. Uh, and I'm committed to it. But if my husband gets sick, my kids get sick, my mother gets sick, they need me for whatever reason, I need to be there, I drop the balls, I drop the drop rubber balls and I go and take care of my family. And, and my husband is the same way. You know, I have to say that I am very privileged that I have married a wonderful man. And I've been married uh, this year, actually uh, the 24th of this month, we'll, be, we'll have a, our 33rd anniversary. And we have two sons. My older son is 28. My youngest is 25. And, you know, and I have worked all my career. And the reason I took six years to the master's program was because I had to drop some of those rubber balls, you know, when my older son was born. And as I got pregnant with my second child and that my mother got sick too, and I had to stretch my master's, uh, you know, but, um, but you just, you know, slowly make, make progress. And also, you know, at work, you know, like I said, you know, there is a huge team effort. And there, is, there are a lot of people that work with you and that uh, you have to trust that they are going to help you to, you know, to deal with some family issues as they evolve, you know, and, uh, you know, no, you know, as a supervisor, you know, I don't expect uh, my employees to be, you know, working 24-7 when they're dealing with a, a catastrophe at, at home, you know. And so uh, 
the NASA culture is very helpful, very, very uh, caring in, in that regard. And, you know, so it is, uh, I have had really good bosses and everything, but, uh, you know, my family is always been, been first. And if my family is healthy and everything is going good, then my NASA family is the next family that I take care of and, uh, and ensure that they are in, in good shape and that they have everything they need, you know, so um, it is that, that's the work life uh, and family balance, right? And, you know, so uh, you just do what you have to do. And, and of course, in every job that I have, I always, you know, make sure that I, that I'm committed to de- delivering on time and, and on budget. And I have to, and I always try to meet my commitments. And, and that's the other aspect, you know, that, uh, of the work life, you know, that, that even though you do have a life, you know, that, that you are committed to delivering a, a good job and, and then people trust that you are always going to do the right thing at work and, and for your family. Absolutely. I think that's some great advice. What is significant to you about being a Hispanic leader at work and in STEM? Well, I mean, it is, you know, being able to, you know, not to, uh, you know, exaggerate that or anything like that. But, you know, if you look around in, in the entire federal government, you know, being able to work in, in the fabulous things that, that we can work and be examples for the next generation on, on what's possible. And, you know, the, the minorities in the United States in particular, you know, I, you know, th- there are a lot of communities who don't know how to help their kids, don't know how to get out of that, you know, those circles that, and so few, you know, people move forward. And so, you know, going and, and showing them that it is possible that they can really uh, do something for themselves if they put their mind to them. And also, showing them that there is a lot of help out there. You know, there are a lot of scholarships. There is a lot of people who can lend a hand, uh, you know, and, but they have to be committed to, you know, moving forward. You know, if, if I always tell them that um, when I give talks to the different communities is that uh, if you have high goals and aspirations and you work for it, a lot of people are going to come to your rescue. If you don't care, nobody cares. So it has to start with you. It has to start with them wanting to care. And that is the message that I, I try to send to my community in particular is, that, you know, just because you are the Hispanic doesn't dictate the person that you can become. You know, you can become whatever you want to become, but you have to work for it. And, you know, achieving a, a senior executive uh, service position in, in the federal government is, is not easy, but it's possible. And just showing them that, that is, what is possible is, is what is important, right? That, uh, you know, if they have goals, they can really get far. And, uh, and it might not mean that they are going to achieve everything they want in life. You know, not all, all of the dreams come true, but, but, it is, but, but it is possible that they can get a lot further if they have high goals. Absolutely. Ambition will get you about half the way and then your work gets you the rest, I feel like. Yeah, that's half of the battle for sure. Yeah. I mean, you have to have a goal and, uh, and work through it. Yeah. Okay. I know this is a question that you've been thinking about. So what is it? What is your superpower, Sandra? <laughs> My superpower. Yeah. That, I saw that uh, and, and I've been trying to think about, you know, what the superpower is, but I, I think it is... Uh, you know, caring, caring for, for my people, caring for my co-workers, 
caring for the, for the work that I do and caring to do the right thing at the right time. It is, uh, that is important to me, you know, and, uh, you know, I hope that in my actions and I hope that in my, you know, how I, I do things that comes across to, to my family, that comes across to my coworkers, that I do care and that I, uh, I mean what I say and, 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 I, and that I walk the talk, you know, and that I deeply care for them. That's a great power to have. Um, if you could give any one piece of advice to students and current engineers, what would it be? Well, I mean, in general, students and, and anybody out there, it's, it's just, just don't give up at the first no. And don't be the victims, you know, don't blame others for, for your, the, your decisions. Don't blame others for your inactions. Don't blame others, you know, and you have to start with you. And, um, you know, sometimes you blame others because they said no to you. But look inside. Why did they say no to you? What, what is that reason? And, uh, and what things do you have to do internally to improve the, the chances that next time they're going to say yes, right? You know, and so, so don't give up at that first no and don't blame others. You know, look first in, inside and try to figure out what you need to do. Of course, you know, there are, there are some people in life that it's better not to not to deal with them. I don't know how, other, how any other way to put it, you know, but, but never burn bridges. It is important that you never burn bridges, even when you might have a strong disagreement with, with somebody, because you never know if you're going to end up working with them for them or them, or they're going to end up working with you or for you, you know, and uh, this world after all is very, very small. So I also have a, a couple of things that I would, I would advise them to do. Thank you, Sandra, for your time. It was so nice to talk to you today, and you provided some really valuable insight for our current and future engineers and leaders. Thank you so much, Marisa. It's been great talking to you today. I'm Marisa Doyen, and from all of us at SWE, thank you for listening. enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Remember to head to we21.sui.org to learn more about and register for this year's conference. 